Section four of Myths and Legends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lucy LaFaro, New South Wales, Australia. Myths and Legends of Ancient Greece and Rome by E. M. Behrens. Section four Third Dynasty Olympian Divinities. Hera, Pallas Athene, Themis, and Hestia. Hera, being the principal wife of Zeus and Queen of Heaven, a detailed account will be given of her in a special chapter. In the union of Zeus with most of his immortal wives, we shall find that an allegorical meaning is conveyed. His marriage with Metis, who is said to have surpassed both gods and men in knowledge, represents supreme power allied to wisdom and prudence. His union with Themis typifies the bond which exists between divine majesty and justice, law and order. Eurynome, as the mother of the charities or graces, supplied the refining and harmonizing influences of grace and beauty, whilst the marriage of Zeus with Nemesine typifies the union of genius with memory. In addition to the seven immortal wives of Zeus, he was also allied to a number of mortal maidens whom he visited under various disguises, as it was supposed that if he revealed himself in his true form as king of heaven, the splendor of his glory would cause instant destruction to mortals. The mortal consorts of Zeus have been such a favorite theme with poets, painters, and sculptors that it is necessary to give some account of their individual history. Those best known are Antiope, Leda, Europa, Callisto, Alcmene, Semele, Io, and Danae. Pallas Athene, Minerva Pallas Athene, goddess of wisdom and armed resistance, was a purely Greek divinity. That is to say, no other nation possessed a corresponding conception. She was supposed, as already related, to have issued from the head of Zeus himself, clad in armour from head to foot. The miraculous advent of this maiden goddess is beautifully described by Homer in one of his hymns, Snow-capped Olympus shook to its foundation, the glad earth re-echoed her martial shout, the billowy sea became agitated, and Heloise, the sun-god, arrested his fiery steeds in their headlong course to welcome this wonderful emanation from the godhead. Athene was at once admitted into the assembly of the gods, and henceforth took her place as the most faithful and sagacious of all her father's counsellors. This brave, dauntless maiden, so exactly the essence of all that is noble in the character of the father of gods and men, remained throughout chaste in word and deed, and kind at heart, without exhibiting any of those failings which somewhat mar the nobler features in the character of Zeus. This direct emanation from his own self, justly his favourite child, his better and purer counterpart, received from him several important 
prerogatives. She was permitted to hurl the thunderbolts, to prolong the life of man, and to bestow the gift of prophecy. In fact, Athene was the only divinity whose authority was equal to that of Zeus himself, and when he had ceased to visit the earth in person, she was empowered by him to act as his deputy. It was her special duty to protect the state and all peaceful associations of mankind, which she possessed the power of defending when occasion required. She encouraged the maintenance of law and order, and defended the right on all occasions, for which reason, in the Trojan War, she espouses the cause of the Greeks and exerts all her influence on their behalf. The Areopagus, a court of justice where religious causes and murders were tried, was believed to have been instituted by her, and when both sides happened to have an equal number of votes, she gave the casting vote in favour of the accused. She was the patroness of learning, science and art, more particularly where these contributed directly towards the welfare of nations. She presided over all inventions connected with agriculture, invented the plough, and taught mankind how to use oxen for farming purposes. She also instructed mankind in the use of numbers, trumpets, chariots, and sea, and presided over the building of the Argo, thereby encouraging the useful art of navigation. She also taught the Greeks how to build the wooden horse, by means of which the destruction of Troy was effected. The safety of cities depended on her care, for which reason her temples were generally built on the citadels, and she was supposed to watch over the defence of the walls, fortification, harbours, and sea. A divinity who so faithfully guarded the best interests of the state, but not only protecting it from the attacks of enemies, but also by developing its chief resources of wealth and prosperity, was worthily chosen as the presiding deity of the state, and in this character was an essentially political goddess, she was called Athene Pelias. The fact of Athene having been born clad in armour, which merely signified that her virtue and purity were unassailable, has given rise to the erroneous supposition that she was the presiding goddess of war. But a deeper study of her character in all its bearing proves that, in contradistinction to her brother Ares, the god of war, who loves strife for its own sake, she only takes up arms to protect the innocent and deserving against tyrannical oppression. It is true that in the Iliad we frequently see her on the battlefield fighting valiantly and protecting her favourite heroes, but this is always at the command of Zeus who even supplies her with arms for the purpose, as it is supposed that she possessed none of her own. A marked feature in the representations of this deity is the Agus, that wonderful shield given to her by her father as a further means of defence, which, when in danger, she swung so swiftly round and round that it kept at a distance all antagonistic influences, hence her name, Pallas, from Palo, 
I swing. In the center of this shield, which was covered with dragon scales, bordered with serpents, and which she sometimes wore as a breastplate, was the awe-inspiring head of the Medusa, which had the effect of turning to stone all beholders. In addition to the many functions which she exercised in connection with the state, Athene presided over the two chief departments of feminine industry, spinning and weaving. In the latter art she herself displayed unrivalled ability and exquisite taste. She wove her own robe and that of Hera, which last she is said to have embroidered very richly. She also gave Jason a cloak wrought by herself, when he set forth in the quest of the Golden Fleece. Being on one occasion challenged to a contest in this accomplishment by a mortal maiden named Arachne, whom she had instructed in the art of weaving, she accepted the challenge and was completely vanquished by her pupil. Angry at her defeat, she struck the unfortunate maiden on the forehead with the shuttle which she held in her hand, and Arachne, being of a sensitive nature, was so hurt by this indignity that she hung herself in despair and was changed by Athene into a spider. This goddess is said to have invented the flute, upon which she played with considerable talent, until one day, being laughed at by the assembled gods and goddesses for the contortions which her countenance assumed during these musical efforts, she hastily ran to a fountain in order to convince herself whether she deserved their ridicule. Finding to her intense disgust that such was indeed the fact, she threw the flute away, and never raised it to her lips again. Athene is usually represented fully draped. She has a serious and thoughtful aspect, as though replete with earnestness and wisdom. The beautiful oval contour of her countenance is adorned by the luxuriance of her wealth of hair, which is drawn back from the temples, and hangs down in careless grace. She looks the embodiment of strength, grandeur, and majesty, whilst her broad shoulders and small hips give her a slightly masculine appearance. When she represented as the war goddess, she appears clad in armour, with a helmet on her head, from which waves a large plume. She carries the agus on her arm, and in her hand a golden staff, which possesses the property of endowing her chosen favourites with youth and dignity. Athene was universally worshipped throughout Greece, but was regarded with special veneration by the Athenians, she being the guardian deity of Athens. Her most celebrated temple was the Parthenon, which stood on the Acropolis at Athens, and contained her world-renowned statue by Phidias, which ranks second only to that of Zeus by the same great artist. This colossal statue was thirty-nine feet high, and was composed of ivory and gold. Its majestic beauty formed the chief attraction of the temple. It represented her standing erect, bearing her spear and shield in her hand she held an image of Nike, and at her feet there lay a serpent. The tree sacred to her was the olive, which she herself produced in a contest with Poseidon. The olive tree thus called into existence was preserved in the temple of Erechtheus on the Acropolis, 
and is said to have possessed such marvellous vitality that when the Persians burned it after sacking the town, it immediately burst forth into new shoots. The principal festival held in honour of this divinity was the Panathenea. The owl, cock, and serpent were the animals sacred to her, and her sacrifices were rams, bulls, and cows. Themis Themis, who has already been alluded to as the wife of Zeus, was the daughter of Cronus and Rhea, and personified those divine laws of justice and order by means of which the well-being and morality of communities are regulated. She presided over the assemblies of the people and the laws of hospitality. To her was instructed the office of convoking the assembly of the gods, and she was also mistress of ritual and ceremony. On account of her great wisdom, Zeus himself frequently sought her counsel and acted upon her advice. Themis was a prophetic divinity, and had an oracle near the river Cephasus in Boeotia. She is usually represented as being in the full maturity of womanhood, of fair aspect, and wearing a flowing garment which drapes her noble, majestic form. In her right hand she holds the sword of justice, and in her left the scales, which indicate the impartiality with which every cause is carefully weighed by her her eyes being bandaged so that the personality of the individual should carry no weight with respect to the verdict. This divinity is sometimes identified with Taishi, sometimes with Ananke. Themis, like so many other god divinities, takes the place of a more ancient deity of the same name who was a daughter of Uranus and Gaia. This elder Themis inherited from her mother the gift of prophecy, and when she became merged into her younger representative, she transmitted to her this prophetic power. Hestia, Vesta Hestia was the daughter of Cronus and Rhea. She was the goddess of fire in its first application to the wants of mankind. Hence, she was essentially the presiding deity of domestic hearth and the guardian spirit of man, and it was her pure and benign influence which was supposed to protect the sanctity of domestic life. Now in these early ages, the hearth was regarded as the most important and most sacred portion of the dwelling, probably because the protection of the fire was an important consideration for if once permitted it became extinct, reignition was attended with extreme difficulty. In fact, the hearth was held so sacred that it constituted the sanctum of the family, for which reason it was always erected in the centre of every house. It was a few feet in height, and was built of stone. The fire was placed on the top of it, and served the double purpose of preparing the daily meals and consuming the family sacrifices. Round this domestic hearth or altar were gathered the various members of the family, the head of the house occupying the place of honour nearest the hearth. Here prayers were said and sacrifices offered, and here also every kind and loving feeling was fostered, 
which even extended to the hunted and guilty stranger, who, if he once succeeded in touching this sacred altar, was safe from pursuit and punishment, and was henceforth placed under the protection of the family. Any crime committed within the sacred precincts of the domestic hearth was invariably visited by death. In Grecian cities there was a common hall, called the Pratanium, in which the members of the government had their meals at the expense of the state, and here too was the Hestia, or public hearth, with its fire, by means of which those meals were prepared. It was customary for emigrants to take with them a portion of this sacred fire, which they jealously guarded and brought with them to their new home, where it served as a connecting link between the young Greek colony and the mother country. Hestia is generally represented standing and in accordance with the dignity and sanctity of her character, always appears fully draped. Her countenance is distinguished by a serene gravity of expression. End of section 4